This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Hey, John, will uh, Kucherov play tonight? He's eligible to play, yeah. What are kind of things you're factoring in? Just the shape, conditioning kind of thing? Well, we have a lot going on in our lineup right now, so it's uh, it's ever-changing. Um, so, but I, uh, he's ready to go, and we, uh, you know, I expect him to play. <laughs> that, that's probably what I would have gone with to start <laughs> if I was answered that question. No, he's in. He's in. He's playing. And, oh, baby, Emily Arena is going to be fired up tonight. Dave Michigan with me. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Erstick's our producer. Boy, oh, boy, do we have a show planned for you. Not a lot happening, though. Kucherov is returning. Blake Coleman is returning. Riley Nash on waivers. Steven Stamkos, a game-time decision. Uh, just another day, right, Dave? In the hockey world? I guess we lost Dave. <laughs> we did. <laughs> that was, you know what? If anybody listens to Jim Rome, that was a dramatic pause yeah. that he would typically have, Steve. But you said there uh, wasn't there anything one. going on, so he just left the show. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Dave said, look, I'm preserving my voice. Greg, you hit on all of the key talking points, and there's nothing left for me to respond when it comes to what the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to do tonight. That was tremendous. Uh, by the way, that needs to be sent in, Steve, for like some sort of award when we that they give broadcasters. Maybe the best open of all time. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I might play that tonight on the pregame show. That's how fired up I am because of that open, and I think uh, Mish would probably get a little chuckle from that. But you heard John Cooper as we wait to get Mish back. Uh, it's funny because I think a lot of people leading up to this game – because we didn't know when Kucherov was coming back. I think we had a pretty good idea, to be honest with you, a couple of days ago that he was going to be returning today. And coaches, they are what they are. They don't like to give the other team too much of a, a heads up when a key player is coming back. So you understood they were going to play that close to the vest. And we do have Mish back here. But I, I think, Dave, we, we had a, a probably a pretty good sense that Kucherov was going to be back tonight. But we didn't know that until today. So I, I think really the storyline before the announcement that Cooch was going to be playing was basically the return of Blake Coleman. And that was going to be a, a really cool thing because we saw how effective he was last year, really the last two years and what type of player he was for Tampa Bay. I actually have some more thoughts on Blake Coleman and, and how that dynamic really changed Tampa Bay and how they really, they got the highest value from Blake Coleman than I think at any point in Blake Coleman's career. But we'll touch on that a little later on. But the story, Dave, I think coming in before the Cooch announcement was Blake Coleman returning. But now yes. that you have Kucherov coming back, it probably goes in this order. Kucherov returning, Stamkos day-to-day, Coleman returning. <laughs> that's, how, that's how big the news has been over the last 12 hours. Well, look, it's going to be great for Coleman to get the same acknowledgement that Yanni Gord got and Barkley Goodrow got. And I guess he got his ring already. I know for Gordon Goodrow, they did yeah, it. He did. Well, Goodrow, for sure, they did it at, at like 5 o'clock. I can't remember. I think Gord was like after the morning skate. But it sounded like uh, Coleman got his ring with his wife and daughter there. I'm not sure what the advanced protocols, if they did it like in a separate location. So. Yeah. 
be that as it may, that was one part of it. And then the second part of it is I'm sure they've put together a video montage like they did for Yanni and for Goodrow. They have one waiting to go for Coleman, and that'll be that'll be neat for him. And and it's interesting. Every player in the bench acknowledges it too. You notice that? Like, by the way, did you notice? Did did you hear him yesterday? He said it was the first time since he was back in New Jersey that he got a tribute video from them. I didn't so know they, that. They, yeah, no. they were they just hit New Jersey recently, yeah. and they gave him a tribute video. But he said, "Look, I I hadn't been in Jersey for a couple of years because of the the schedule and the in the lockdowns." Yes. And so he's going to have back, not back to back, but probably within the last couple of weeks, a couple of tribute videos. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Well, they did a nice article on him in The Athletic, whoever covers The Athletic for the Flames. Uh, and I know Joe Smith retweeted it out, which is how yeah. I saw it. But he said, you know, it was only 17 months I was in Tampa. It, it felt and feels a lot longer than that but the reality was it was only 17 months so in 17 months with the weird scheduling and the fact that the lightning i'm trying to remember if they were due to play in new jersey uh they i think they played all their games against the devils that year because i remember there was one right before they went to sweden then there was another one that ended their long winning streak so they were done in new jersey the year that got paused by the pandemic but they didn't play the devils like coleman said last year based on the scheduling how they did the divisions and so that's how you you get a situation where his last game in jersey to his next game in jersey in between he won two stanley cups with another team (laughs) right right it seems kind of strange to think of it in those terms well i was gonna say is it's it's neat to see all the players on both benches really get into these tribute videos because, you know, the Lightning players acknowledge what he did for the Lightning and his new teammates are like, hey, he's our guy now, right? Well, did you see I, I noticed that with the Rangers and Goodrow. Did you see yesterday, and I, I, I should have looked it up, and probably Steve knows off, you may as well. I just saw Scott Lachlan retweet it because the first, first thing I thought of when I saw it happening, I, it was definitely in Canada. It might have been Toronto where they did a tribute video with nobody in the stands. Well, because it like, was it was Zach Hyman. Yeah, right, but, but Dave, Dave, yeah. Dave, next to my pet peeve of leaving a stick on the ice <laughs> and not picking it up, what are we doing? That's insane. Did you see it? Hyman is like, you know, mockingly like waving to the crowd. I mean, come on. That is the dumbest thing <laughs> next to not picking up a stick that is broken and leaving it on the ice that I have seen in quite some time in the National Hockey League. Be better. A tribute video with nobody in the stands. That doesn't make any sense. I like fired up Greg. You should. You're pretty, you're pretty fired you up. Well, that, that's, I mean, no, that's not common sense. And maybe we just don't live in a world that's common sense anymore, but... That really drove me crazy. I saw a bunch of people retweet that, and I and I I didn't want to get snarky on Twitter because by trade, Dave, that's not usually what I do. I don't like to pick fights on Twitter because, as you know, and as Steve knows, sometimes it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. But that one, I I, I was very close to typing as much as I could on Twitter and then hitting send. And I'm just very glad I didn't. But that's a pet mm-hmm. peeve of mine. But Blake Coleman will get a very nice tribute yes. tonight. 
He was an integral part of what this Lightning team did. But to be honest, that gets overshadowed tonight by Kucherov coming back to the lineup. Look, Dave, you take a look back, and it's hard to imagine. The guy only played three games before these injuries occurred. And what I, I want to be very clear here. What the Lightning have accomplished this season with not only the protocols in place and who has been out in and out of the lineup, but with arguably one of the top five offensive players not in the lineup. And then you factor in Braden Point, who's missed a lot of time as well. So arguably two of the the top ten best offensive players or best players in the game, period, not in your lineup. This is one of the best stories in the NHL. And they're not going to get enough credit because it's the Tampa Bay Lightning and they have a lot of talents and I think people take that for granted. But I got to tell you right now, you take, let's take a team like Calgary. Who's their best offensive player, Dave? Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau, Kachuk. Yeah. You know, maybe. All right, so take one of those guys out for just all but three games, then take their second best offensive player out for an extended period of time, what's their record going to look like? Now, to their credit, they're in a playoff spot right now, and we're going to get into them a little later on with our guest coming up in just a bit. And it, it, it should be talked about, and that is Derek Wills. But Kucherov is an unbelievable talent. You know that. I know that. Everybody on the show knows it. Let's not take for granted what the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave, up to this point have done with him not basically being in the lineup. I mean, they've, they have, what, the best record in the league, or at least points. And it's, it's something that I think needs to be talked about. And I hope fans here don't take that for granted because sometimes I think it does, and it's, it's human nature. But it shouldn't be because it's really hard to do. Well, we've certainly not overlooked it. I think we've acknowledged what they've been able to accomplish in 35 games, 49 points, without both Kucherov and Point. You didn't even mention, I don't know what Calgary's affiliate or, or, or version of Eric Chernak would be, but you know, you're pulling him out for 18 games. Hannafin, well. maybe. You know, I don't Yeah. I mean, do they have a. a I'm just a trying rugged, to think like that. Be- yeah. Big defenseman. I mean, they have Eric Goodbranson, but Chernak is at a. Yeah. A different level than Good Branson at this point in Good that's Branson's a good point. career. I don't know who that would be. Yeah, that's a good right. Point. But I mean, they're they're kind of penalty kill, tough, rugged defenseman that gets that's in their top two pair as far as matchups for for defending against the other team's top line. So yeah, really impressive. I think if you were to ask the Lightning players, though, they would say that. The playoffs are what matters. So while it's great that we're atop the league standings and and we've been able to do it with all this adversity regarding injuries, it really it really is secondary to just making sure that we get in the playoffs and have a chance Absolutely. to win a third straight cup. You're you're I mean, look, that's you you hit the nail on the head. We've been consistent I don't know that with they're, that for a while. They're but feeling neglected. I guess that's the way. I'm, I don't I'm think the Lightning should. What I, I it's and look. What do we, at the end of the day? And I hate that cliche. What does that mean, really? But when you the national media, that needs to be a bigger story because if you're going to give me other stories that I think are, are kind of garbage, I need to see a story that's kind of relevant. And the best team in the league who's going for a three peat 
that is continuing to win despite missing key pieces to their lineup throughout the year, that needs to be talked about a bit more. And it shouldn't be held against John Cooper for Coach of the Year. And I'll tell you what, he's a game-time decision today. Just like I made the case last year that Andre Vasilevsky should have been the MVP of the league, or at least in that top two. I think Steven Stamkos deserves MVP consideration. Now, again, big picture, do we care if he gets it or not? I mean, look, it's it's about championships and playoff wins. We understand that. But while we mm-hmm. have the regular season, you have to play the regular season to get to the playoffs. I think we can all acknowledge what Steven Stamkos has done this year without the services of Kucherov and Point for an extended period of time is one of the best stories in the NHL. That's not getting talked about as much. He's a game-time decision. We'll see how that plays out. Maybe there's not a huge urgency to get him into the lineup with Kucherov coming back, Dave, and maybe you can afford to sit a guy like Stamkos. And I think that's the luxury of being in a position that Tampa Bay is in. When you get into first place or you feel pretty good that you're going to make the playoffs, if a guy is dinged up a bit, particularly somebody like Stammer, you don't really need to force him out there game in and game out to pick up points. I think you can pick and choose when you want to sit guys, assuming they're not in COVID protocol. But Dave, you tell me. I mean, in terms of what we've seen from Stammer and who the players the Lightning have missed this year, I think it's fair to say, I don't know if many of us thought that Steven Stamkos would be playing at this level. And I think just like Vasilevsky deserved MVP consideration, or at least let's put it this way, strong MVP consideration last year, I think, and I'll get on this bandwagon right now, I think Steven Stamkos deserves MVP consideration this year, considering how well he's played and who hasn't been in the lineup. Well, he deserves consideration. I think what you are touching on, though, goes to an expectation bias that works against the Lightning. Because when you win two Stanley Cups within one 12-month period in less than 12 months and churn out key victories the way that they have for sure at such a regular clip it's almost like your expectations forget about high expectations you get unreasonable expectations stamped on you yeah you do so that if the lightning let's say were on the playoff cut line now i think there would be much more surprise than there is appreciation for where for they sure. are top the league standings no doubt and Even that's with fair our kucherov point and chernak but i think we need and that goes me. to that goes to Stamkos in this consideration for a league award i, I think be like, well they're, they're the two-time stanley cup champs yes they have such a great supporting cast and and you know they draft and develop and they have vasilevsky how can you vote for Stamkos? they have headman they have vasilevsky they have mcdonough they have Oh, for sure. John Cooper. I mean, that's... <laughs> I but, get it. But that comes with yeah. what they were able to accomplish the last two seasons. You're right. And it's a bias that needs to be torn apart. It does. Because you should not be penalized for being a successful team. It's harder to stay on top, Dave, and win than it is to be a team that just gets there after having a few poor seasons. Yeah. I mean, look at any company. Look at any athlete. The ones who are truly great do it over an extended period of time. Look, I, 
I'm not going to beat a dead horse. We're not going to spend all show talking about Steven Stamkos being an MVP candidate. I'm just telling you he should be because I don't think everything you said is correct, but the biggest point might be I don't think anybody thought Steven Stamkos was going to have 40 points at this point in the season. And I think that is a tribute to him and how well he has played. But nonetheless, we are going to see Kucherov back tonight. Dave, there were yeah. a couple and of maybe, moves. And maybe no Stamkos. He's a game-time ma- decision. Right. He's a game-time decision. We also saw a couple of moves made by the Lightning yesterday. We talked about Darren Radish being demoted to Syracuse or reassigned, and that was m- maybe a, a nice foreshadowing of what was to come. But then Riley Nash was put on waivers. Yeah. And you so and it's I interesting. It's interesting, but let me just let me just bring this up because it used to be noon, and clearly it's no longer noon unless the news broke, and I have missed it. It seems to be later in the day when they announce who has been claimed. Yes. So if Nash is not claimed, all that means is that he's eligible to go to the taxi squad, and he no longer has to clear waivers for another 10 games or 30 days. We've been over this. So if Stamkos can't play and Colton is still in COVID protocol, they could they could have Nash fill that spot. It's not like they would call him back up and have to send him back through waivers again. But if he is claimed on waivers, which is a possibility, I mean, Winnipeg might choose to claim him back. The Lightning did that with Barry Boulay, if you yep. remember. Right. Then the Lightning are going to have to summon a forward. This is assuming Stamkos can't play. And I yes. I think, based on when Colton went in the protocol, which was Tuesday, he can't come back tonight. I mean, I guess the Lightning could go with 11-7 and seven if they wanted to. That'll be interesting to, to follow. I do think if Stamkos can't play, though, and Nash clears, and the Lightning still have him, he would, he would play tonight. So... Let, let's assume, but yeah, go back to your point. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I just, I mean, let's let's just my 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 point was just highlighting the moves. But I, I think you and I were discussing when everybody's back healthy. What does this roster look like up front? And Dave, that's in part on my end, and maybe this is something we all have to realize. I don't know if they're ever going to have a healthy lineup, and that's that's not a knock on Tampa Bay. I, I probably could say that for any team I'm covering. You know, if I was covering Calgary, if I was covering the Penguins or the Capitals. Yeah. I mean, does any team ever have a healthy <laughs> roster with it seems, protocols in place? It seems to be. Yeah, it seems it to just, be that when somebody comes back, somebody else is leaving the lineup. So, I mean, if Nash clears, what does that mean for him? What does that mean for the Lightning? Do they just bring him back? Does he stay on the active roster? Does it speak? Does this give it any insight as yeah. to what they're thinking with the two young guys in Kachuk and Radish? Well, so the reasons that he would have been sent through waivers, I think it's one of two or maybe a combination of the two. One is that it is cap-related, and the Lightning are not interested in carrying 23 players on their NHL roster. Right. The other is they feel that he didn't show them enough. And I don't have an answer for that, but... Well, let's say, they made let's, the move. I mean, they didn't have to make the move. Maybe they did based on the, the cap situation. Thought, but it's not like we got an explanation as to why he was put on waivers. And I don't know the, the, the cap implications here in terms of what, what does it cost? What does it mean if he's kept? What's the savings? We, we would probably need to get into that a little bit more. I would just tell you from the eye test, Dave, maybe my expectations were relatively low. 
But Riley Nash performed as well as I thought. And I thought it gave us an insight into their thinking that heading into the playoffs, they would rather have a guy like that hanging around who's a veteran presence than just go in, I don't want to say cold, with a Radish and Kachuk who don't have NHL experience when it comes to the playoffs. I agree with you. And I think he, he did everything that was asked of him. So I don't have a problem with that. Now, if everybody's healthy and they want to keep Rash, Kachuk, and Radish on the roster, how many forwards? That's 15, right? Or no, wait, 14. 14. So you, so you keep... would have two scratches. This is what we were talking yeah. about. So you could theoretically keep that lineup intact for the playoffs. You'd have a couple of scratches. And you just decide maybe on a game-to-game basis, whoever's playing well, you dangle that carrot in front of them until they don't. And there's this internal competition with those three players. And I'm, I'm just saying those three. There could be others that end up jockeying for a spot, whether they're doing well in Syracuse or whether it's a trade that Julian Breeswell ends up making. I think we all acknowledge, I don't know, barring a trade, and that could happen, Dave. That could happen specifically with one of the younger guys. But now I'm kind of getting into the weeds to make something happen. All I'm telling you is I don't think they want to sit Kachuk or Radish for an extended period of time. I think they also like what they've seen from them. I think Radish and Kachuk, which which is interesting to me, they've separated themselves from this standpoint. Both are showing, I think, different skill sets. And maybe we're starting to get a, a little clearer picture in terms of where they can be most effective. Now, maybe I'm reading that wrong, and I, I very well could be. I acknowledge that. I think Radish is showing us a little bit more of a skill set that makes me believe that he could be a guy that's in a top six role, maybe even a top nine role, if the Lightning wanted to move him up and down the lineup. I actually think Kachuk is more suited at this point in his career to maybe give you energy on a fourth line and go from there. I think the problem Radish is going to run into a little bit is that when everybody's healthy, is he cracking the top nine? And I think the answer there might be no, but then again, I don't know what they're thinking. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, I guess I look at it this way. And as I said that about the cap, I mean, Bogosian is hurt, but he's not like on long-term injury or anything like that. So, you know, his salary gets factored in here. So for now, the Lightning do have seven defensemen. Not certain about if they put him on IR, what that means to to your cap hit. So it may be that when the Lightning got to twenty three, if you're including Bogosian and you're activating Kucherov, they needed to make a corresponding move. But there is risk involved. Yeah. The risk is that Riley Nash could get claimed. But I think I am confident saying that of the three guys, Nash, Kachuk. And Taylor Radish, Nash was the one they were willing to lose. Yes, for sure. I mean, Absolutely. maybe that sounds obvious, you know, the way you reacted, but you know, that's kind of how you break it down. So maybe it's not really performance related at all. It's more just about we're in the spot now where Cooch is getting added, and we need to make a corresponding move. He's the guy that that we have to expose to waivers. And hopefully he doesn't get claimed. Let's be pretty clear, too. The Lightning have a couple of UFAs next year at the forward position 
where if they were to lose those guys, Radish and Chuk could be theoretically two yeah. players that slide in. I think I think we can't overlook that. Also, I think they would feel that both of those guys or either one of those guys would get claimed. A hundred percent, which is why they're young and they have a lot of potential upside. No doubt. Which is why farther ahead on the runway. Yes. They are going to be on this roster. Barring a trade that can help the team improve themselves more than what that player gives them regarding their skill set. I think that is a fair take. And I think it's one to keep an eye on moving forward. But it's 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 a fun debate for sure. And look, the reason, Dave, we're having this conversation is because I think we are getting closer to the Lightning finally fielding maybe a complete roster. Although, again, Ross Colton, I'm assuming, still in COVID protocol, right? So he won't be in the lineup tonight. Yeah. And Stammer is day-to-day. So in many ways, we are still not going to see decision. that. Game time decision. Game time decision. Yeah. So Which to me is to closer than day-to-day. Like, yeah. I, I think there's a chance he could play tonight. But if he doesn't play and Nash is claimed, what does the lineup look like? Correct. It does look like Cooch is going back with Point and Palat, where he has spent, when he has been in the lineup, most of the last couple of years. Which I'm not sure that's a surprise. What do you no. th- I mean, it's they've had a lot of success together, and I know there's been some talk, hey, you know, Sorelli's been playing with Point and... Maybe Stamkos is the centerman, or maybe Stamkos goes back playing with Kucherov. And I look, those are all options that, that John Cooper can go to because they have worked in the past. But I think that that line in particular, Dave, has been very dynamic. It has a lot of the ingredients you want in a first line. It's got skill, it's got speed, and it's also got grit. And it's got a really big matchup problem for the other team. Now the question just becomes, again, when everybody's healthy, what is that second line looking like? What do we think that third line will look like, and what will that fourth line look like? Ironically, it looks like the third line, Dave. You know, we thought for a long time, because Pat Maroon was there, it would be on a fourth line, but I think his play is elevated, along with Corey Perry and Belmar. I mean, I think that might be your de facto fourth or third line, and then you kind of just build your team from there with what you have on the fourth. I, I, we kind of had this debate before and I don't know if there was really an answer to it I think the wild card really is is where do they where do they view Ross Colton at this point in his career because you get the sense that the coaching staff had no problem giving him a, a, a little bit more responsibility offensively and you know with some of the players being out and I, I don't think you do that without having some confidence that you see a little bit more there offensively than maybe originally thought. But then then again, you know, we talk about depth and Blake Coleman returning and what made this Lightning team so tough to play against the last two years. Well, you had goal scorers on the third and fourth lines. You had some depth. Mm-hmm. So if Ross Colton is to go back being in a bottom six role, and when I say bottom six, I know coaches don't like to use those terminologies anymore, a third and fourth line role, well, that doesn't mean your fourth line, Dave, can't score goals. In fact, the Lightning's fourth line, you know, for some teams could be a third line. Maybe even a second line for teams that aren't as deep because you're talking about guys who have a lot of experience and some skill sets that would be conducive to that. So I think the interesting thing is once everybody does come back, assuming they do, where's kind of Ross Colton fit up and down this lineup? Does it really matter? I guess just as long as he's in the lineup making something happen. 
Well, I mean, we're going to find out tonight. I agree with you about what you said about the fourth line. Like, your fourth line, if you are going to win a Stanley Cup, it helps not only to get good play from all four of your lines, but to get some production from all four of your lines. We saw that from the Lightning the last two years. I mean, Tyler Johnson was playing on the fourth line, if you remember, in the playoffs last year. And he, with Maroon, teamed up on a number of big goals. As well as in the Stanley Cup final, but I'm thinking of the the one that they scored against Florida in Game 6. Like, they weren't as, as prolific as Point or Kucherov, but they contributed. No doubt. So you need that. You need good play, and you also need actual point production. So... Look, I think we're going to get some answers about what the lineup looks like soon here, clearly, and we'll also find out in the next probably two hours at most whether or not Nash is still a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think all things being equal, the Lightning would like to keep him, but they made the move, and there is risk involved with that move, same same as when they sent Barry Boulay through waivers at the start of the year and the Kraken claimed him. No doubt. No doubt. We'll see how that plays. One thing we do know, Antonio Brown will not be playing for the Tampa Bay <laughs> yes. Lightning. <laughs> that's, gotten, that's gotten very ugly, hasn't it? Very quickly. Very ugly, very quickly. Yeah. Well, he could. He's been released now. <laughs> that's so. what I mean. I, I don't think the Lightning are going to take a shot at him. That being said, you never know. You need to take your shirt off during the, you know, on the ice and, and kind of go that route. We'll, we'll see. That would be kind of interesting. But uh, I, I don't anticipate John Cooper going that route. And... Uh, that would that would be uh, pretty funny. We'll effort to get him on the show, Steve. Why don't we do that? We'll uh, we'll have him on to, to talk about the lightning. All right, Derek Wills. He is the voice of the Flames. We're going to talk to him coming up in our next segment about the Flames schedule. Uh, where are they right now in terms of competing for a playoff spot? And I want to get into him about their goaltender, Markstrom. Uh, Cal Woodley spoke very highly of him on his podcast with Jeff Merrick. This was a, a few months ago about. Mm-hmm how dominant he's really been. and I He think knows Markstrom be well because Markstrom well. was in Vancouver all those years. Yeah, it's a great point by you, yeah. and it's something we'll talk to Derek about when we return. It is Power Lunch. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli along with Steve Ersnick. Glad you're with us. We're getting you set for Lightning and Flames tonight on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner from the Block Party. Happy New Year. Okay, enough small talk this week on the Block Party. I had Max Legacy on. Max had the big win against the Canadians the other night when we were shorthanded. I say we, I mean the Lightning. I talked to Max about how many people reached out to him after the big win, why he felt weird celebrating after four goals given up, and Max details why he enjoys his Lightning headshot so much. It's Max Legacy on the Block Party with Seth Kushner everywhere you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, I can't say enough great things about Blake Coleman. He's exactly what the doctor ordered in, in Tampa. And one thing about Blake, you know, Blake was a 20-goal scorer. Uh, he played in the top line in, in New Jersey. He was getting power play penalty kill time. And when he came here, he was really acceptance, you know, accepting of his role. I think when guys come to a team, they want to impress and it was kind of a weird situation. He had 10 goal or 10 games with us or nine, something like that before the pause. And he didn't, I think, I don't even know if he had a goal, maybe one. And we really were trying to find a spot for him. But what we did know, know is he had heart, he had grit. Uh, he never backed down. And so 
you know, he kind of came to us with this goal scoring moniker, but what we found out about him was, you know, like his intangibles were exceptional. And then after that pause, we threw him with Goudreau and, and, uh, and Gordo. And, you know, to be honest, that was, it was a, you know, they got the third line moniker with first line status. That's how, how good they were for us. And, uh, we don't win the cups without them. It was, uh, one of those trades that, you know, goes down of how trades are supposed to go when you're trying to make a push. And, um, there, there's a reason he's got a couple rings on his finger and he was a big part of it. Uh, been, you know, sorely missed here, but really happy for him in the sense that you get to watch your guys go somewhere and kind of cash in, if you will, uh, for all the hard work they had, you know, beforehand. And, and so I am a big Blake Coleman fan. You know, he was uh, with our team earlier today and you could tell how excited all the guys were and how he was and brings back a ton of good memories, but also some sad ones. The fact that he's not here anymore. Yeah, and I, I think that's, of course, John Cooper here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Glad you're with us. Greg Linnelli along with Dave Mishkin. Uh, the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, is going to be joining us just momentarily. But just a thought on on Coleman before we get to Derek. It, it is That's how the system, in many ways, is supposed to work. You get a player who, who wins, who's accomplished, and then it's time to hit free agency, and he's got some of the numbers partner to back it up, and he signs a nice contract that's going to set him up for the rest of your life. It, it, yeah. it, it doesn't always work out that way, but I think when players look at things and free agency and also winning, you, I think you can look at Blake Coleman and say, yeah, you get your cups and then you get paid. Uh, life is pretty good at that point. Well, it's interesting because Coop, Coop said he met out one goal. He didn't have any goals in the nine games before the season paused. He had one assist, and that was actually against Calgary. The day after his daughter was born, he had a lot going on when he arrived in Tampa because his wife was literally about to give birth. So he had that to to deal with. And by deal with, I yeah. mean like getting getting her to an area where she could have the baby and getting her and the baby back with him. And and I remember that nine-game stretch. He had a ton of chances, was snake-bitten. He actually didn't score his first goal with the Lightning until the bubble. Yeah. in the playoffs right and it's maybe a good segue to bring in Derek wills and and Derek I I know that probably snake bitten is a word that you might use to describe Coleman's scoring prowess to start his time with the flames but the other parts of his game seem to be there which is what John Cooper talked about what have you noticed about the start of this season for Blake yeah, hi guys uh, happy New year great uh, happy to be on with you uh, as far as Blake is concerned I think snake bitten is a great word to uh, to describe what he's been offensively for the Flames this season. I, I think he's coming off his best game of the season. He had a career-high 12 shots on goal in the Flames' 6-2 loss to the Panthers a couple of nights ago and you know, finally got back on the score sheet. But his career shooting percentage is 9.5. He's at 5.2 so far this season with five goals on 96 shots. But you know, offensively, even though I still think there's, there's more to give for Blake Coleman, defensively, He's been fantastic. Uh, he's a guy who you can play in any situation uh, against uh, the other team's top line. You can use him on the penalty kill. He's been a really important part of what's been a terrific Flames penalty kill so far this season. Hasn't seen a lot of power play time. I kind of hope that'll change moving forward. But a guy who's uh, always in the right spot, always in the right side of the puck. So uh, defensively and without the puck, he's been really good for the Flames this season. But offensively and with it, uh, I think Blake would be the first guy to tell you that there's there's more there. 
and I'm hoping after a, a really good game against the Panthers two nights ago that uh, that turns into a, a bit of a springboard for them. Well, Derek, get us up to date on the Flames this year. We know about the recent postponements with the schedule. I like a lot of their roster. There's some skill up front. They've got elite goaltending. We know about the coaching. But what are the expectations, in your opinion, for this team, and where are they right now? Well, Greg, I would say that expectations have changed since the start of the season. So the Flames, once again, missed the playoffs last year. It was a really disappointing season, uh, a coaching change midway through, going from Jeff Ward to Daryl Sutter. But I think it was really important that they had 30 games to get their to get to know their new bench boss at the end of last season, and in turn for Daryl Sutter to get to know his players. And they really did hit the ground running. They got off to a great start this season, one of the best starts in the history of the franchise. And when I say that, as far as wins and losses, for sure, but also actually in games, they scored first in 18 of their first 22 games and were really good as front runners, but you know, they've kind of gotten away from that. And, you know, I had a great chat with Daryl Sutter before the season started, and I asked the Flames head coach what the identity of the team was because they really didn't have one last year, at least not a positive one. And, and his response was interesting. He said, it's up to the players to decide what their identity is going to be. And I think their identity earlier this season was a team that really, from the drop of the puck, dictated the way the game was going to be played. And Ryan Huskell, one of the assistant coaches on the team, when I asked him how they wanted to defend, said, we don't want to defend, we want to check. And that was another really important part of the Flames' identity. But and I just had a great chat with Eric and Branson a few minutes ago, and he admits that the Flames have gotten away from playing to that identity of late. So it's a team that doesn't have as much talent as a team like the Lightning or, or other clear Stanley Cup contenders. They have to play the right way to be successful. They can get away with their B game or their C game against teams like the Kraken and the Blackhawks, so they beaten their, their last two games prior to uh, that 6-2 loss to the Panthers on Tuesday, but they can't get away with playing that way against the Panthers or the Lightning or the Hurricanes, so they're going to have to get back to being the team that they were earlier in the season, and uh, obviously they're going to have to be at their best to be the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions tonight. Well, hearing you break that down, Derek, it sounds to me like you're being harsh, and maybe that's because I'm looking at the Flames from the outside. They played more road games than any other team. Their road record has been outstanding, and they're second in the league in team defense. But you see them every day, and and I don't. But I guess my question would be, what has led to all of this road success and and team defensive success? even understanding that maybe yeah, they, they haven't been able to maintain it. Yeah, yeah, they have been really good on the road this season, Dave, and we don't even know when their next game is going to be after tomorrow night's game against the Hurricanes. And uh, as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, there have been a number of postponements uh, north of the border because, uh, well, here in Alberta, you can have 50% capacity, but you can't sell any drinks or food. So that obviously puts uh, a bit of a damper on things inside of Scotiabank Saddledome and up at Rogers Place at Edmonton as well. There are some Canadian cities where you, you can't have any fans. Uh, in Ontario, you can have a 1,000 fans. So it's uh, a bit of a mess as far as uh, the restrictions because of COVID go up here. But you know, the Flames have played a lot of road games and are tied for the league lead in road wins with 13 and have been very good outside of the Dome. Haven't been as good a home team as a road team, but I would say that uh, the biggest reason why they've had success on the road is they've generally 
played to their identity. They've generally played the right way and and made it difficult on teams. And this is a Flames team that really has to check for their chances. They haven't done that as well uh, of late, but that's who they are. And when they play to that identity, then they can certainly have success, even against the top teams in the league. But, you know, for me, the, the biggest positives for the Flames this season, I think you have to start between the pipes with Jacob Markstrom, tied for the, uh, I think, probably – Vesna Trophy candidacy at this point in time of the season, leads the league in shutouts, is amongst the league leader in, in, in goals against average and save percentage. He's been really good. I think the team's done an outstanding job filling the huge hole left on defense by their longtime captain, Mark Giordano, who was selected by the Kraken in the expansion draft. And then up front, they do need some more secondary scoring moving forward, and I think Blake Coleman's one of the guys who can give that to them. But their top line has been one of the best lines in the NHL so far this season with Elias Lindholm centering Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk. They have been really, really good, not just with the puck, not just offensively, but without the puck and defensively. And you know, for a good chunk of Gaudreau's career, and I would say to a lesser extent Kachuk's, those guys played sheltered minutes, didn't really get those tough matchups, Got way more offensive zone starts than defensive zone starts. That hasn't been the case this season, guys. Those three guys have been fantastic and uh, have been the catalyst for the Flames offensively. Derek Wills joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Derek, you touched on Markstrom a bit right there. How dominant has he been this year? And in your opinion, is he good enough if the Flames get into the playoffs to carry a team a long way? Well, he has been fantastic. Now, he, he is his own harshest critic, so I'm sure he's not very happy about what happened uh, in Sunrise a couple of nights ago when he gave up six. Then again, the, the Flames weren't very good in front of him, uh, giving up 45 shots in that 6-2 loss to the Panthers. But if he hasn't been their most valuable player, uh, he would certainly be on the ballot for that award at this stage of the season. And, yeah, I do believe that if the Flames get back to the Stanley Cup playoffs this season – that he's a goaltender who's going to give them a chance to win games and give them a chance to win series. And you know, I think that's uh, really important for a Flames team that for so many years was searching for Mika Kiprasov's replacement. And, and Jacob Markstrom, I think, has been the best goalie they've had since Mika Kiprasov. And fans in Calgary have been hard uh, on the team's goaltenders over the years because they were waiting for that next Kiprasov. And I'm not saying that Markstrom is Kiprasov, but I, I do think that he's the best goaltender they've had since him. And Dan Vladar has been a really positive development as well. They signed him, or they actually traded for him, gave up a third-round pick to the Bruins to get him. The Bruins just had so much depth and goal, they had to move somebody out and, and decided to trade Vladar to the Flames. But you know, the truth is, we had such a small sample size with him prior to the start of the season. He had played in five career NHL games. We just weren't sure what the Flames were getting or what they had in Dan Vladar, and if he would be a legitimate backup goaltender at this level, but he's been fantastic as well. So that one-two punch with Markstrom and Vladar has certainly been a strength of the Flames this season. Derek, I've always been really impressed with Sean Monahan. He has really good numbers against the Lightning, and that's usually the extent of, of where I've seen him, certainly live, seven goals in 13 career games against Tampa Bay. But his year this year is curious. Just in the plus-minus Lindholm is plus 26, and on the very same team, Monaghan is minus 10. That's a difference of, of 36. 
what is going on with him this year, and, and how do you account for, for such a big disparity between the two centermen? Yeah, Elias Lindholm, in my opinion, uh, deserves more credit than he gets for being one of the top two-way centermen in the league and has been one of the league leaders in, in plus-minus all season long. But again, playing on a fantastic line with Johnny Gaudreau, who's plus 22, and Matthew Kachuk, who's plus 18. So those three guys have been fantastic together. And when it comes to Sean Monaghan, I do wonder if injuries have caught up with him a little bit. Uh, played in, in 50 of the 56 games last season, but in game six last season, suffered a hip injury that he played with throughout the rest of the year before they finally shut him down the four games to go when they were mathematically eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he was playing through a lot of pain. He told me that when he would bend down to take a face-off and then try to stand back up, he would actually have to try to click his hip back into place. So he had an incredibly high pain tolerance that he played through last season, got off-season surgery on that hip, came back feeling 100%. But I'll defend Sean Monaghan by saying this, and I would say the same thing about Blake Coleman. You know, the Flames have a really good number one line, but the bottom nine is and has been a work in progress. And, you know, Monaghan, for the majority of his career, and he's a seven-time 30-goal and three-time 30, or sorry, seven-time 20 and three-time 30-goal scorer, but he's played alongside of one of the best playmakers in the league and Johnny Gaudreau for the vast majority of his career. This year, he's played with different players in the bottom nine, and if you were to hold my feet to the fire and ask me to number the Flames' lines right now, I, I would say that Sean Monaghan is their fourth-line centerman. So going from wow. being the first-line guy to the fourth-line guy, that's a big adjustment, and and less minutes, and you're playing with players who don't have that offensive upside that, that Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk have. So, you know, Sean's a guy who I think his, his 200-foot game has really improved over the last two or three years. Uh, you can play him against the other team's top guys and uh, rely on him to, to do the job defensively, but offensively, he's one of the guys the Flames need more from uh, to add to that secondary scoring, and, and he has been better of late, so you're seeing some some positivity in, in how he's playing right now. But, you know, for fans to expect him to be a 20-goal scorer playing in a fourth-line role, although he is still on the first power play, I think those expectations need to be adjusted. Uh, he's a guy who the Flames uh, have had more for, more from, need more from, but uh, I, I kind of think there are some built-in excuses for Sean with uh, his limited production this season. Voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Um, Derek, the Blake Coleman, one of many people get, uh, getting back to him, former 20-goal scorer, he's won cups. Who wouldn't want a guy like that in their lineup? But is that one of those contracts, in your opinion, because of his age and the monetary value, you kind of hold your breath a bit because in a salary cap world, a $5 million player needs to be more than a really good role player? I know that's what they're hoping for, but those are one of those contracts. It could go either way, couldn't it? Well, I'm not worried about Blake Coleman's contract, to be honest, because even though he is 30, he's got low mileage for an NHL player at 30 years old because prior to the start of the season, he'd only played in 301 career NHL games. You know, he got to the league a little bit later and doesn't have a lot of tread worn off of his tires, so to speak. So I'm not worried about the Blake Coleman contract. Of course, when you're making almost $5 million a year, there are going to be certain expectations that come with that contract as far as goals, assists, and points go, and they haven't been there yet. 
but I'm not convinced that they won't be there moving forward for Blake Coleman. I think once the Flames can establish their second and third lines and find combinations that work and kind of stick with those groups moving forward, I mean, you look at Coleman, basically played on the same line for two years with the Lightning. And it was, I think, the best, if you want to call it third line, but I think the best third line, if that's how you want to label it, in the National Hockey League. But, you know, he had the benefit of, of playing with two really good players and playing with them regularly. So that's not something Blake Coleman has had to, to this point with the Flames. But, again, Daryl Sutter is looking for some combinations in his bottom nine that he can stick with and, and use consistently moving forward. But, you know, Coleman has two Stanley Cup rings, and I think that there's a value that comes with that and probably one of the reasons why the Lightning weren't able to keep him or, or his two line mates uh, during the offseason – but the Flames need players who have that experience and players who know what it takes to win when the games get hard. And that's how I would describe Blake Coleman. Going into the second half of the season, I suspect he's probably going to play his best hockey. He becomes more comfortable with the city, more comfortable with his team and his teammates and his coaches. And, and I really do think that Blake Coleman is going to be a really important part for the Flames in the second half of the season. And if they can get back to the Stanley Cup playoffs, when the hockey is hardest, that's when I think Blake Coleman is going to shine. And, guys, I think we saw a little bit of that on Tuesday night in Sunrise. That was a rivalry game, not for the Flames, but for Blake Coleman, because I think that the, the Lightning Panthers rivalry is arguably the best in all the NHL right now. And for Blake Coleman, that was a big game, and he played like it was a big game. So I think we're going to see more of those from Blake Coleman moving forward. It's a good point, and uh, Derek Wills joins us here on Power Lunch. Derek, last question for you. You've been very gracious with your time talking about this Flames team, and I wanted to ask you just in general, you know, every every team is dealing with uh, COVID and the protocols and attendance and postponements, and I'm curious how, you know, people in Calgary are dealing with that, and do you feel like you get through some of these postponements and there's just going to be a certain point where, we're going to have to try to get back to normal, allow fans back in the buildings, maybe full capacity, because as you know and I know, financially the league has taken some pretty big hits the last couple of years. I know Canada is a bit different than the U.S. with protocols and, and government, but I'm wondering, when you look at this big picture, do you feel like things are going to loosen a little bit more in Canada, or do you feel like it's going to get stricter? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, guys, to be honest with you, I can't wrap my head around the fact that almost two years after this thing started, we're still dealing with COVID. I, I really can't. And I'll take you back to, so I remember coming back from a road trip to Florida, and we didn't know anything about COVID at that time in February of 2020. And I came back, and I felt terrible for about a week. It was a really weird cold or flu. Couldn't figure out what it was, but shook it off fairly quickly. And then a couple of weeks later, we learned about COVID, and I thought to myself, yeah, I probably had it coming back from Florida. But life went on. And, and the restrictions have kind of come and gone since then. And obviously things are way more restricted north of the border than they are south of the border. As far as how they should handle it moving forward, really they have to, I think, learn more about these Omicron variant and, and decide how dangerous it is based on you know, the evidence that we have to this point. It's probably more transmittable than the other strains, but not as dangerous uh, as, uh, as the other strains, certainly not as dangerous as the last strain uh, called Delta. So uh, I do think at some point in time we're going to have to get back to living our lives, and, and I don't want to downplay what has happened to people 
during the pandemic. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there that have lost loved ones or become really sick because of COVID, but, you know, there are tens of thousands of people a year that die from the flu, and we don't shut down the world because of the flu or because of colds. And, you know, having talked to a lot of flames who uh, were in COVID protocol and, and almost the entire team was, some guys were asymptomatic, some guys had mild symptoms, some guys had moderate symptoms, but everybody got better within two or three days. So uh, I think that's certainly promising, and I think we're trending in the right direction to a point where some of these restrictions are going to, to start getting lifted. And if you look around the world and, and look at places like South Africa and, and England where they've been dealing with Omicron, they're starting to, to drop the restrictions because now people are getting sick, but they're not really getting sick. They're, they're being tested and, and they come back positive, but you know, if they aren't asymptomatic, they don't have really severe symptoms. So uh, I hope we're trending in the right direction. Life's got to go on at some point here, guys. I mean, we can't keep living yeah. the way that we've, we've been living, certainly here in Canada for the last couple of years. And I understand that you have to be very careful. Uh, I hope everybody gets vaccinated. I know I've got three shots, and, and I feel like I've done what I, I can to protect myself and those around me. And, and hopefully uh, we'll get through this thing sometime soon because uh, – you know, I want to get uh, back to calling hockey games at Scotiabank Saddledome and, and watching yeah. games in, in other Canadian arenas. And it, as we learned over the last couple of years, fellas, it, it's not the same. When, when you're calling games right. in buildings that are half full or even worse, completely empty. So from a hockey perspective, the NHL has been a, a great distraction for a lot of people during this pandemic. And, and hopefully we can get back to some sort of normal sometime soon. Yeah, amen. I think a lot of people agree with, with that take for uh, a lot of different reasons. Well, Derek, thank you so much, buddy, for coming on. We appreciate it. Enjoy the call tonight as best you can, and we will talk to you down the road for sure. Thanks, Derek. Sounds good. And, uh, hey, congratulations on back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, guys. That's an incredible accomplishment. And uh, I'm a bit of a closet Lightning fan because uh, <laughs> I do have some ties there with yeah. uh, Julian Brisebois, who uh, – I actually think is a genius. He is absolutely brilliant. I had a chance to work with him for a number of years when I was with the Hamilton Bulldogs, and he was our, our general manager as the assistant GM of the Montreal Canadiens. But him and Matthew Darsh and J.P. Cote, former dogs as well. So uh, the Lightning are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I won't be cheering for them tonight, but it's, uh, it's not hard <laughs> to, to cheer for what I think is probably one of the best organizations in the league in the league so uh thanks for having me on and uh looking forward to a good hockey game tonight guys you got it we'll do it again really soon thank you derek appreciate it buddy sounds good take care guys all right derek wills joining us here on power lunch on lightning power play you know he mentioned a, a side note here dave i'm glad he did matthew darch i keep, yeah i keep seeing his name being thrown around for gm i want to say maybe for the canadians there's you know obviously a, a little bit of a connection there but i think just in general you know when we start talking about and th this is not unusual. When you win, yes. other teams want your talent. And that can come on the ice, like Blake Coleman, <laughs> Barkley Goodrow. Or it can come in the from the standpoint of, you know, management. And Matthew Darch, I'm sure you've read the same things. I mean, he's a guy mm -hmm. that I think is on the short list of a lot of teams. And why wouldn't Good he? Good for him. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. So. Smart guy, has the pedigree of having worked in the Lightning's organization and worked under Julian Breesbaugh, who I don't think Derek's opinion of, of Julian is a, a, a solitary one. He's the only one who has that opinion. 
So yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'm not surprised that Matthew Darsh is is a sought after candidate. Bob, that will end with this. He wanted to know. Have to admit, know nothing about the Flames the last two years. They appear to be doing fairly well with a good record. How do the Bolts match up? What are their strengths? Goaltending. And I think we kind of got a pretty good scattering yeah. point from Derek. Daryl Daryl Sutter's teams traditionally, and this is not only with the Kings where he won a couple of cups, but also going back to the Flames the first time when he was coaching them. The Lightning saw them in the 2004 Stanley Cup Final. Like his teams play hard, they play tough. They predicate a lot of what they do on defending. And so I'm not surprised that they're number two in the league in team defense. And it sounds like they're getting great goaltending as well. And he demands a lot of his players. And if you don't give him what he is looking for, He'll let you're you not going to play. <laughs> He'll let you I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty straightforward in that regard. So, look, if you can defend – you're going to give yourself a chance to be in a lot of games and you're going to have a chance to win a lot on the road. And I think that that has been a big part of their success because the way the schedule has played out, Greg, they've played 20 road games and only 11 home games. And it's going to be 22 road games after they play tonight and tomorrow because they play in Carolina tomorrow. They're going to be making up some games that were postponed and the majority of those are home games. Mm -hmm. But for them to be where they are, given their schedule, they needed to make some noise on the road, and they have. Andrew Mangiapane has 18 goals this year, tying a career high already. 17 of them have come on the road. He's been fantastic. He's been he's been great. And Johnny Gaudreau has points in 11 straight road games. Yep. So, I mean, he mentioned their top line. He didn't even mention Mangiapane, who's having a fantastic season. He would have been playing for Team Italy, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good for him. That guy was on fire, especially early. I mean, he still is, but you know, early yes. on, it felt like he was scoring every game. He he basically was. And I, I was hope like, that answers your me? question, Bob. Yes. So I think the Lightning have to be ready for a team that is going to check. That's yep. what Derek said. They're not interested in defending. They're interested in checking. Because if you check well, that'll help your your team defense. No doubt. And they have to be very mindful of this Lindholm line with Gaudreau and He's Matthew a good player. Kachuk. Yeah, he's a good player. That that's a that's a really good line for sure. And Kucherov's going to be back, and that's going to be a fun yep. time to watch tonight. So make sure you listen to us starting at six o'clock. Eric Erlinson and Bobby the Chief Taylor will have the pregame skate show. I'll have the network pregame at six thirty. Then at seven o'clock, Dave in the Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, have the call at seven, and then Dave and I will do it over again tomorrow weekdays at noon to one, and we'll break this game down tomorrow as well. Thanks, partner. I'll see you in a little bit. See you in a bit. All right, thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to Derek Wills. I am Greg Lanelli. It's Power Lunch on Lending Power Play.